This is Asian Insider, and I'm Nirmal Ghosh. Now, China's National People's Congress, the NPC, has concluded, and as expected, it passed a new national security law that extends Beijing's control over Hong Kong. The next steps will be the passage of the law by the NPC Standing Committee in the next few weeks, and then its promulgation. Now, here in the United States, the State Department has essentially recommended to Congress that Hong Kong should no longer be considered autonomous. This paves the way for Washington to impose sanctions on individuals and also to impose new tariffs. President Donald Trump could now, even as we speak, do several things, including issue an executive order to change Hong Kong's status under U.S. law, or Congress could do that by repealing the Hong Kong Policy Act of 1992. That would mean the U.S. will no longer grant most favored nation treatment to Hong Kong origin goods. Whatever is done, it is safe to assume that there will be punitive measures to some degree, and that is not going to be taken kindly by China. And remember, the U.S. is moving against China on a number of other fronts. Reports have emerged just today that the administration may in fact revoke the visas of Chinese students with any connections to universities tied to the Chinese military. Between three to 5,000 Chinese students at American universities could be affected. Today I have on the line the Straits Times Hong Kong correspondent Claire Huang and China correspondent Elizabeth Law. Hi, good to see you. Hi, Nama. Hi, Nama. Hi Claire. Nice to have you back. Claire, if I may start with you right there in Hong Kong. How real is this end of Hong Kong as we know it, angst? Is an era about to come to a close or is it a new chapter that is about to start? Is one country, two systems in the dustbin of history? Walk us through that a bit. Um, in Chief Executive Carrie Lam's own words earlier this week, we are a very free society. Uh, so for the time being, people have the freedom to say whatever they want to say. I think the interesting thing to note here is that Mrs. Lam has consolidated support for Beijing's decision in the past week or so. Uh, the Hong Kong government has appeared as a team uh, to back Mrs. Lam. In the days that followed, chiefs of the various departments also issued statements to say that, you know, to the effect that they're supporting uh, the, the national security law and one by one all fell in line. And you've got the tycoons starting to uh, make uh, comments as well. You know, you've got uh, Li Kaxing and his son, Victor, now, the reassurance from them is that the law affects only a minority and that Beijing is doing to safeguard national interests and that Hong Kong has been unable to pass the law for 23 years since the handover in 97. Now, but the opposition and some Hong Kongers are worried about this uh, because they feel that this is a moving red line. So it's a moving target, particularly the fact that Beijing bypassed Hong Kong's lawmaking body, the Legislative Council, to roll out this law does not give them any confidence. So to them, that effectively spells the death of um, one country, two systems. Liz, what does Hong Kong represent to China? Should we see this as a really watershed moment when China regains almost full control over territory it had lost? And what does it mean down the road? Right, so I think if we're going to talk about what Hong Kong means to China, we really do have to go back into history and how this was territory that had been ceded to the British um, after the Second Opium War, um, which of course also marked the start of 100 years of humiliation. And because China that we're seeing today is just this really more assertive China that ha has been trying to stick its claim on, on 
territory. And so uh, Hong Kong to them, I mean, clearly the events of the last year, all these widespread protests where, where, where people were not desecrating the flag and, and, and they were also vandalizing the crest at the liaison office. Now, these, of course, were, were things that uh, Beijing did, really did not look kindly upon. Um, but whether or not this really means that Hong Kong is now fully reintegrated back with the mainland, I think it's really still too premature to say this is just one step of, of many that they can take. Um, and I think right now at, at this point, they are really just trying to put a stop to what has happened. As uh, So I, I wouldn't call it a real watershed moment uh, in terms of Hong Kong's full return to China yet. Uh, I think that there are more steps to come, but uh, clearly this has this has been a very big issue here. Um, if we look if we look at state media over the last few days, ever since the announcement was made last Thursday evening that this law uh, would go through at the NPC, basically state media has just been dominated with news about Hong Kong. All that talk previously on CCTV about the coronavirus and the fight about the coronavirus, that has now gone. All of that has been replaced with news about Hong Kong. Uh, and also they have interviews, as Claire mentioned earlier, she's uh, Mrs. Lam, the chief executive of Hong Kong, has consolidated support from uh, most of the pro-establishment figures. So they've been running interviews with former government officials, with former diplomats, uh, overseas as well, and also with the heads of the various services within Hong Kong, like the fire services, the correctional services, the chief of police, expressing support for this law. Claire, if I may get back to you for a second. Hong Kong as potentially just another Chinese city. How do Hong Kongers see this? For the longest time, it gets that goat, Nermao, when you refer Hong Kong to just another Chinese city. Even the Hong Kong government has admitted at some events, right, that they are put in a very difficult position when promoting the city uh, because it cannot keep stressing its independence, uh, independent rule of law, uh, finance standards, freedoms, and things like that. As ironic as it seems, uh, they may not have that to trumpet anymore because uh, even if it's true, there will always be doubts, you know, uh, at the back of uh, people's minds. Uh, also, uh, there's uh, the distinction between mainland China and Hong Kong is that Hong Kong, you know, under the uh, US Hong Kong Policy Act is viewed as a separate customs uh, territory, right? So Hong Kong right. can source for sensitive technology. So stripping of this special allowance, you know, by the US will make it truly just another Chinese city. Right. And surely normal business, the financial markets and so forth, will continue for the foreseeable future. Uh, will pragmatism rule? And does that mean the West may be missing a crucial point here? America in particular. Mm. So uh, the rich, of course, have been moving their assets uh, when the trade war was brewing. And by now, there's only more motivation for them to do so, right? Uh, because no business wants to be in a place where it's uncertain. There's a lot of uncertainty. They don't like that. Uh, on top of that, the U.S. Uh, is now welcoming, President Trump is welcoming uh, American businesses to go back. Uh, but I think if, you know, talking about Asia, right, then uh, we are looking at Singapore as a potential uh uh, place where they can relocate. Um, interestingly, uh, you know, Hong Kong Exchange is now trying to expedite uh, public uh, offerings, you know, of mainland firms. So we, we need to watch that space. Um, one can also argue that financial markets 
can continue. Businesses will go on. Uh, people always talk about how Hong Kong is resilient, and uh, they always say that China's domestic market uh, is self-sustainable because it's very huge, right? You've got uh, so many people. Um, but uh, I think uh, the nail in the coffin will be when uh, the U.S. strips Hong Kong of its separate customs territory status. Now, a lot of analysts have mentioned that this uh, this is a new cold war between the US and China and I've written in 2018 that Hong Kong uh, is stuck between the two powers and will become collateral damage um, Hong Kong has always been about making money as long as that continues I think there'll always be you know uh, prospects right uh, I think in the near term it'll be all right but even in that scenario I think um, there's a there's a kind of doom and gloom. Um, and, uh, you know, you talked about how the West uh, is harping on rights. I think the reality is that everyone has vested interests. And um, I think we need to understand that, uh, you know, uh, and, and we can all agree that the, the difference between the mainland and uh, the Hong Kong is the Western system. You know, freedom of press, speech, assembly, and these rights are the distinction between the two places. Right. Uh, Liz, has China calculated that this is the right moment and it can basically live with any punitive measures from the US? This does come at a time when China's global image has taken a beating, but has it calculated that it, is it essentially prepared to tolerate any pain the US may inflict? And do you think, from your perch in Beijing, do you think there is a chance Washington may be underestimating that capacity? Okay, I think there are multiple parts to this question. So firstly, uh, whether or not they've calculated uh, what sort of measures that the U.S. would take. This is a government that uh, we have to be very clear. This is a government that does not make decisions lightly. And from what we've heard is that this law has been in the works for the better part of the last seven months. And I think we had early indications that Beijing was going to get tougher on Hong Kong when they started to swap out the head of the Hong Kong Macau Affairs Office and they swapped out the head of the liaison office in Hong Kong to people who clearly were a lot more uh, hardline and who would come down a lot harder on the city. Um, I think we also need to look at what has been said over the past week when it came to um, at the MPC because clearly the government is prepared that uh, there will be an international slowdown. And a phrase that keeps coming up is that global demand is is going to be bad. There will be a lot of headwinds, so we have to drive domestic demand. So a lot of the policies that you see that have been announced uh, over the past week, and it was just confirmed yesterday by Premier Li Keqiang, that they are going to drive domestic demand and there's something to the sum of 4 trillion yuan. So that is that is a lot of money and it shows that they are prepared to really hunker down and dig in for the long run in case uh, the international scene does take a turn. Right, but at the same time, uh, if I may just point out, yesterday at his wrap-up press conference, Premier Li Keqiang, when asked about Hong Kong and whether or not this is going to affect US-China relations and whether this basically shows that Beijing is abandoning one country, two systems, he just uh, he gave his shortest answer of all in the entire two-hour press conference. It was just about a minute long as compared to the other answers, which went on for quite a bit. Um, and he refused to touch on US-China relations. He simply said that, no, we, it, this shows that we are upholding one country, two systems, and this is for the stability and prosperity of Hong Kong. So this also is a slight reflection of the view in uh, that 
in Beijing, even though the re the rhetoric is is very high, but then at the top level officials and what mid level officials are saying, there is a a, a sort of uh, schism, if I may, where. Uh, top level officials are definitely trying to be a lot more careful about the things that they're saying because clearly the the atmosphere now it really is quite toxic. There is quite a lot of this uh, rhetoric going around, and I uh, we all get a sense that Beijing is trying to manage this as well and to not let it spiral out of control because there are some quarters that feel that. Beijing is not being harsh enough against the U.S., but there are the uh, the others um, who really are trying to uh, contain the situation and to not let it get uh, even worse than it already is. Um, and to go back to your question, whether or not uh, the Chinese government is willing to sacrifice this entire relationship and willing to sacrifice Hong Kong, I'm. Uh, I really am not sure. Okay, um, you know, uh, when we were speaking earlier, you made an interesting remark that uh, China, the, the the government has refrained from criticizing President Trump by name. And the same thing applies here in DC. President Trump has been very careful and even uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has been careful not to name President Xi Jinping. But uh, so Secretary of State Pompeo has basically been leading the sort of hawkish rhetoric. What's the view out there? Right. So clearly, Secretary Pompeo, because he has been leading this view and he has sort of become the whipping boy for Chinese state media and very hawkish Chinese media as well. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the videos that have been put out from here where, where they sort of portray Pompeo as a clown. And uh, as, I, as I was telling you, uh, we were doing a collation of it. And when you look at state media and state tabloid editorials uh, in the last four months or so, there have been something like 20 or so mentions of Pompeo in state media editorial, which is a significant amount, which means that he appears in Chinese newspapers at the average at least twice a week which that is quite significant. But you have rightly pointed out that they have been very, very, very careful about not attacking President Trump personally because he is this great friend of President Xi and they, and they keep boasting about this personal relationship. Claire, if I may come back to you with the last quick question. You have been there on the ground in Hong Kong covering these protests for months on end. Do you detect any sort of change, any shift in the mood uh, lately uh, or in, in the last one week? Well, um, if you're talking about the protests itself, the scale is smaller now. Uh, and uh, the police and the demonstrators have changed uh, tactics. So the, the, uh, it's become, uh, it's come to the point where basically the police will not even let people gather or assembly, assemble, you know, in a, in a location. And um, this has worked very well for them. So they're very swift. Uh, they will cut out all the escape routes. Uh, in the area, and uh, this makes it, uh, so basically it fragments uh, the uh, protesters, right, the groups of protesters, it makes them smaller groups, and it's easier for them to make mass arrests, and this has worked very well for them so far this year. Uh, meanwhile, the protesters uh, have also uh, sort of changed their tactics, uh, made it quicker, so they do uh, flash mob style protests, meaning they block roads, run, uh, they throw traffic cones, uh, they disrupt traffic, run um, and it's very all it's all getting very 
quick now, so the pace is quicker. Um, but I think if you're talking about the underlying causes uh, of the protests, they are still there. The underlying unhappiness remains. Um, Hong Kongers are very passionate people, and some have said that uh, you know they will stay and fight for uh, Hong Kong's future. So. Um, uh, but then on the other hand, you've also got a, a spike in the number of Hong Kongers now, you know, asking uh, about uh, moving to, uh, looking to move to Taiwan, Singapore. So um, people, there are people who are looking for ways out of the city. Claire, Liz, thank you very much for your time and please take care out there. More analysts here in D.C. are saying that China and the U.S. are on the brink of a new kind of Cold War. I put the same question to State Department spokesperson Morgan Ortegas just yesterday, and she did say that the U.S. foreign policy is, of course, a clear-eyed foreign policy. They see the world as it is, not as they wish it to be. But she did also at the same time emphasize that they will cooperate the U.S. will cooperate with China. There are many areas of uh, mutual cooperation, for example, North Korea, to take one outstanding example of the past year. For Asian Insider, I'm Nirmal Ghosh.